everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. I hope you've been listening to this song. This song is one of my favorites. It is called Lunar Madness. I tell the whole story here in a minute, but basically about a year ago, I'm watching some obscure 80s B-movie, and this song comes on, and it completely knocks me out. And I think, I've got to find the person who's singing the song and get them on the show. This is one of the most amazing voices I've ever heard. And that person is this week's guest, Sue Sad. So here's the story, and it goes along with many other stories we've had on this show. Sue fronted Sue Sad in the next. They were a rock, kind of a hard rock band with some new wave flourishes like a lot of other bands, like last week's guest, Loverboy, similar kind of feel. They were discovered in the late 70s by Richard Perry of Planet Records. That name came up in the American Noise episode a few months ago with George Sippel. And like American Noise, Planet didn't put a lot of muscle behind the marketing of the album. They put out one self-titled album in 1980. It reached number 131 on the charts. It did okay in Europe, but they just didn't do anything with it. And that was pretty much it. And this voice, this amazing voice, and this great band didn't get what they deserved, I think. So a couple of the guys in the band start getting jobs doing movie music, specifically B-movie music by this European guy named Albert Payan. And Sue is brought on to sing some of those songs. Now, Sue Sad and the Next appear on the, you know how I am about soundtracks. They were on the Roadie soundtrack, which you may remember from 1980. They were on the Looker soundtrack. But other than that, it was primarily B-movies. Sue does that for a while. She thinks this is going to be the, the big break, and it just doesn't happen. And she becomes disillusioned, and she leaves the music industry. And she's primarily been kind of off the grid ever since. It took me a year to make this happen. I originally reached out to Tony Ripperetti of the band. I found him online. I couldn't find Sue. He put me in contact with Sue. It took her a while to warm up to the idea of talking. And then it took a long time for me to earn her trust. She's a very private woman, but she's also a very sweet, wonderful woman too. And so we don't find out as much. She was a little closed-lipped about some of the things I would like to have known, but that's okay. That's her prerogative. But we have a really interesting discussion here. And one thing to keep in mind, in the year, during that year that it took me to arrange this conversation, they finally, Sue Sad and the Next, put out a second album of kind of a compilation of the stuff that they were working on back in the day that didn't ever get released. That is even better than the original album. It's called Long Way Home. I'll tell you more about that later. Anyway, this is Sue Sad. She's a wonderful lady. She called me from her home in Southern California. I always kick it off, though, with sort of how I discovered the person I'm talking to. So about a year ago, I was watching TV, and there's this on-demand channel called Impact that plays these B-movies from the 70s and 80s, and I kind of have a soft spot for those. And there was one coming up called Vicious Lips that I'd never heard of before, and it had all I remember from the description is it had something to do with a female rock group in space. And I thought, <laughs> I've got to see that. I don't know what it is, but i got to see it, right? Right. So, I'm watching it, and as often happens, about halfway through, I'm kind of like, this isn't really, I'm kind of losing interest. So I'm, it's still on in the background, but I'm on my laptop at this point doing something else. And all of a sudden, near the end, 
this song Lunar Madness starts playing, and it's the one of the most incredible voices I've ever heard. It stops me in my tracks, and I immediately am like, I have to know whoever is singing this song. What is the story of this voice? I have to know. And I thought, I'm going to track this person down and have them on the show immediately. I don't even, normally I do a ton of, of research and everything, which I still did, but I thought I'm just going to find her and have her on like that. And then it took about a year for you to kind of warm up to the idea and to kind of get the schedules in order and everything. But here we are a year later. I don't even remember the movie, just how much that particular song knocked me out. Then in that time, I discover all your other music, and I bought the new album that came out in the meantime, and all of it's amazing. So first and foremost, when did you learn that you knew how to sing? Um, the last child of four kids, right? And and, and okay. you're all competing for attention. You know, being the last one on the, on the toad pole, you're kind of like, you know, where do I fit into here in this yeah. arena of chaos? You know, my sister was very musical, and she seemed to be doing very well in that field. She sang opera. And so I just felt like I wanted to, you know, I just I wanted to do something that, you know, I could feel good about. Because I just saw the reaction she got, and yeah. I guess it was to, to get attention. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know. You know. So yeah. that's kind of how it got the the bug of it. And then I wasn't really into opera. I mean, you know, that's just sure. the direction I was going. So I thought I'll go to left field and I'll I'll do rock and roll. Did you start off in bands pretty young? I found something. You were in a band called Calliope early yes. on. Yeah. I found uh-huh. a song. We've made it. Are yeah. you singing because you sound like Nico from the Velvet Underground in that one? It doesn't sound anything like the voice that I came to love later. I don't know. Is that you just singing in a different way? Well, I'm kind of uh, more background. You know, I'm not really okay. doing the lead in that. The Calliope was basically a Jim Andron group, and okay. uh, we got together in high school. Uh, the guys were together in junior high. I got together with them in high school. You know, we started doing Jim's songs. He was the writer. Of, of the oh, group, okay. really. Okay. And so we really didn't do any writing at that time. Okay. So you from know. a young age, you decided, I want to be in rock groups, and that's where you started to kind of find your voice. It wasn't singing in talent shows or in church or other, all the other places that people typically find their voice at a young age. Right. Well, yeah, you know, I, I like doing competitions. I like, you know, talent shows and things like that. 
And, okay. you know, I was wanting to better myself as, as a, a vocalist, but I, I really didn't have any voice lessons or anything like that. In my early ages, I, I didn't do any of that, you know. So wow. it was whatever I could find to to uh, improve myself. I just did it, you know. Okay. Threw it out Interesting. there. It really struck me when I was listening to Lunar Madness in that movie. I just thought, how can a voice like this not be one of the biggest voices in the world? I'm just some regular guy in Denver. Nothing against singing on, you know, B-movie soundtracks, but I just thought, why do we not know this person and this voice? Why is this not something that's everywhere and being kind of touted as something really amazing? Why is it on this B-movie soundtrack? Nothing against B-movies, but I just thought it deserved to be bigger and better and, like, anyway. Well, you know, there's there's a thing called timing and luck. Yeah, true. (laughs) You know, and and that's basically what it comes down to. Your timing in that moment and who you know, and, you know, we had some luck and, you know, and that we had some timing, but we didn't get it all. That was the the problem, you know. Yeah, well said. Okay. So when does the calliope become too sad? And it's sad, right? Not sad. It's 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 sad, really. S a a d. And I know people. You know, I've heard people make a lot of fun of the last name. Like, why would you choose that name? And it's like I didn't. You know, I was married (laughs) to Jim Lance, and his last name was Sad. So Uh you know, it it was it was catchy. People would would definitely say, "What is your name again?" You know, Uh so they want to hear it. So you say it, and and we just thought, well. We'll use it because it's different. Yeah. It's a great, that's a great rock and roll name. Sue Sad yeah. the Next. That's that sounds right. like the best band around, for sure. So when does the Calliope become Sue Sad and the Next? When do you change gears into kind of more the new wave rock? Well, you know, there were a lot of different things going on. After high school, Tony and Jim were, you know, I considered them the talent. They were the ones that were really going to make it. And they had started a group actually in San Francisco. And Jim and I were married. And so uh-huh. I actually was with him. You know, I love to sing. I love to do all that. But I really felt that the guys and all the wives that were part sure. of this whole ordeal, you know, supported their men. And so that's kind of what we did. We worked while they played music and recorded and did all of that. When that broke up and Jim got called to come down to Los Angeles for Vincent Towers, they were signed to A&M Records. They had them, uh, Tony and Jim, come down to L.A. And, of course, I was along, and that's how that happened. But we knew that L.A. was a place to go to to do music. I mean, if you're going to do it, you've got to go to the industry where it's happening. And happening, it was in L.A. at that time. And that's around the time, late 70s somewhere, 78 probably, when you got discovered by Richard Perry? We weren't writing then, see. Yeah. and Towers were their own kind of entity doing their own thing, and Tony and Jim were backing them up. And I was kind of forming another little group with a friend of mine, a girlfriend, Barbara, and we were doing some harmonies and singing around and stuff like that and just trying to see what was there. Oh. When, I guess, um, Glenn of Vance and Towers really didn't want to go live. I guess he was a little kind of shocked to go out there and perform live in front of, a, a, you know, mm. thousands of people. And I kind of got cold feet at the time. And so that kind of ended the career of the band touring. And and Jim was very frustrated. Tony was very frustrated because they'd been working very hard to help get this band going. And Jim just said, that's it. We're doing it ourselves. 
And yeah. that's what started it, was that. Okay, okay. Okay. So you guys were on separate paths. He was doing his thing, you were doing yours. Yeah. You're married, but it's not a crossover thing until his, what did you say the name of his band was? Vance or Towers. It, and it really wasn't his band. It was Michael Towers and Glenn Vance. In, in oh, Santa Barbara, you know, okay. very competitive. We're all good friends, but we were very sure. competitive with each other, you know. But we knew we could trust each other, and, and uh, he loved Jim's playing, and they've known each other a long time, and so, and Tony as well. And so um, they went down to there to support them and, and to back okay. them up and to make it happen. Okay. They were the writers, and they were they're really exceptional writers. They're very good. Uh, their album didn't do well. But, uh, you know, the first album really doesn't. It's kind of, you yeah. know, you just throw it out there and see what happens. But the thing that right. they had going for them was A&M Records. A&M Records, that I loved about them, was they supported their, their groups. I mean, they, they committed themselves to the band. So they, Yeah, that you need that, especially it. when you're starting out, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a whirlwind to begin with. And then, if, you know, sometimes you need a little direction. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Yeah. Now, Richard Perry, who has come up on this podcast before, Planet Records, right? That was his label. Yes. Uh-huh. When does he find you, and when does he sign you to Planet? And then did he did he give you everything you needed at Planet? Because he didn't do that for the other person I talked to. Um, well, I had a guy named George Sipple on here from a group called American Noise, who uh-huh. were just a great band, put out one album in 1980, and that was it. And it was largely because Planet didn't really get behind it or do anything with it or know what to do with it, and it just kind of faded away. Yeah, well, you know, I think they, they feel that the more groups they sign and throw the music out there, then they'll, then they'll see who takes. Okay. You know? And then that's yeah. who they'll get behind because a band's were a dime a dozen. It doesn't matter yeah. if it's good or anything. I mean, you know, that has nothing to do with it. It yeah. just matters to who was interested in you. You know, if they see the money coming their way, they're going to go, okay, that's where we're going. That's where they follow, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's how I see it anyway. And yeah. how we got started really was that Ed Silvers, who was the head of Warner Brothers, the president of Warner Brothers at the time, he took a liking to Jim, as I remember, okay? And we were trying to be writers, you know? We thought yeah. the best way to get, get into this is to become writers and to hone our skills that way. And because songs are the sellers, 
you know. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we felt if if the band doesn't make it, at least their songs could make it, and you know, uh, we could get in that way. You know, there's a lot of bands that did, had done it that way. Yeah. So that's what we decided okay. to do, and and they were very mm. gracious. You know, helped us hone our skills. It yeah. wasn't always very pleasant because you don't like to hear that your song is terrible or your sure. lyrics, you need to rewrite your lyrics after you spent yeah. a month like on your them. your kid is you ugly, know? yeah. But I learned right. so much from that experience, yeah. I, I learned a great deal of, you know, is not to take it personally. And, yeah. hey, if you can write it ten other ways, why not? Yeah, yeah. Would you have been content to have just been a songwriter for other people and never had your own band or your own music out there? Music is music. You know, I mean, I love to perform, I love to sing, and I love being in the studio. I love writing. I think the exciting part for me is sometimes I'd come home and Tony would have a track down, Jimmy and Tony would have a track down, and they wouldn't have a lyric or they wouldn't have a melody, and I'd come in and I'd, I'd just go in and just be touched by the way Tony played a song or the, melodically how it felt, and I'd say, you know, what is the song, where is it coming from, and he'd tell me. You know, yeah. that's basically how we wrote Turn and Walk Away. And how I feel today, well, I don't know. It took the arms of a lover, and soon I discovered. track down on the guitars and I was like oh my gosh I have to I have to do this now and um, <laughs> I went out there and you know you, you babble some lyric that you yeah. have no idea what you're doing but you know you feel it you, it's just in your soul you know some lyrics will pop up and then you start elaborating on that as you're writing the song and, and cleaning it up interesting huh okay I know we've talked about you being shy and I want to ask you more about that later so maybe being a you know, a front woman in the same sense as like a Pat Benatar who was, you know, around at the time you get compared to. That was mm-hmm. not as key for you as just wanting to write music, be in the music world somewhere, carving out your own niche and doing that. That would have been enough for you. I don't know. You know, I can't, I, I don't think so. If it wound up that way, of course I would be content because I'd still be doing music. I'd still be in the, in the business. There's something to say about that. I loved performing, and I think at the time that I was out there, women didn't perform. They yeah. they just got out there and they stood and they, they sang. When Ron sent around around the stage, she sat there yeah. and she sang, and perfected her songs and music and her her audience and entertaining them that way by yeah. being pretty and standing there and singing. I had to move, you know. Yeah. I couldn't sit yeah. still. I saw a Sammy Hager concert, and when mm. I saw him come out. You know, he is a performer. Who cares about the song, really? Right. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, he got you excited. Right. And that's what I wanted to do. Huh, interesting. Now, you brought it up, and I was going to kind of ask you about this. What was your experience like as a woman 
did you ever feel kind of marginalized or used or disrespected or were people largely pretty nice to you? How do you think your experience was different being a woman in a rock band than maybe someone else's might have been? Well, yeah, I think it was marginalized. You know, I think that there were only a certain amount of women allowed to have their records released who were accepted in the business. You know, they have a pet Pat Benatar, they have a heart. What do they need to sue Sad for? Well, in my mind, they absolutely needed someone like me because they didn't have anybody out there entertaining the way that I could. Well, and why can't you have more than, like, three? Why do you need only a couple? That's what I... You're not filling a female quota here, you know? Yeah, but they thought like that back then. And John Claudner was one of those those persons that thought that way. He he actually told me that, and it kind of floored me. I never thought like that. Yeah. You know, it's like, here I am, you know, I'm ready to, to lay it all, all out on the line. And, yeah. And uh, whatever And you've takes. got it. You've and got I, the goods. I felt if you weren't, I did, yeah. You know, yeah. But you've got to have the backing. Richard Perry, you know, he had a different idea of who we were. And it was far different than what we were. And that's really? my frustration with, yeah. with Richard. And, and, and disappointment as well, because... I mean, growing up, I thought he, I mean, look at Harry Nielsen, the Point Sisters, Charlie Simon. I mean, the roster is amazing. Today, people don't know who he is, but at that time, he was the man. And to be able to get signed by him, you know, I felt very, very fortunate. But my experience wasn't that. Yeah, that's too bad. Okay. Yeah. Was it a, a misogynistic environment? Would you, I guess you being married to Tony at the time, maybe that shielded you from what may have happened otherwise, a lot of flirting and come-ons. And Did you still experience those kinds of things or no? I wasn't married to Tony. I was married to Jim. You know, the guys were pretty protective of me, you know. Yeah. We really didn't want to let people know that I was married because, uh, you know, it kind of takes away from the draw. Yeah, of, the same uh, John uh, Lennon story, right? Yeah, right. Uh, tell right. John, everyone John Lennon's married, yeah. Right. We we wanted to keep it kind of a mystery, so we, we just kind of held back that information. And come on, I, I kind of don't understand the question in that way, John. You hear about, for young actresses, the, the casting couch story, uh-huh. right? You you know, you go out with me or do this or that with me, and I'll oh, give you no, a part no, of no. I, That never happened, which was, which was nice. You know, I think everybody yeah. actually was really good to me. Very, very nice. I Good. would have liked to have a little bit more support. I think that that's sure. what was yeah. lacking. Yeah. Okay, so in the late 70s, you guys come together, Sue Sad and the Next. You start putting together your first album, first and only album, really, thanks to Richard Perry. Thanks or not thanks to Richard Perry. Actually, it was thanks to, to Ed Silver. He was the president of Warner Brothers Publishing. And he, he introduced us to Richard Perry. But Richard oh, Perry okay. wanted to see us live. And so we wound up playing, I believe it was a K-West concert at oh. Anson Ford Theater. So he came to see us live yeah. in a competition of who was the best band, you know. So right. we, okay. And we won it, and, and he was kind of amazed by, by us, and the people loved it, you know. And there again, I added up to our performance, you know. And we had yeah. great songs as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. When the first album comes out, and I think it's 1980, right, yeah. What were some of the singles? I've seen the video for Young Girl. Oh. My mama told me to be clean and behave. 
That might be your only video, or at least the, you know, and I guess MTV wasn't a thing then, so it wasn't, probably yeah. part of your marketing plan was not to make a bunch of videos, but there is one out there on YouTube for Young Girl. Was that yeah, a single, like or? Well, no, that? it wasn't. Uh, I was trying to think of a single, and I think that doesn't, uh, I can't think of it right now. I'm sorry. Was it Won't Give Up? off with that one, but I'm trying to think of it's terrible. I can't oh, think of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because I'm looking on, you know, Wikipedia, obviously, the uh, end-all, right. be-all of information. And right. it looks like Won't Give Up reached number 107 in 1980. Uh-huh. Young Girl was... Was the most popular for Europe, because we yeah. assigned it as well. And we was part of Warner Brothers, but it was a European... Okay. Uh, part of, of Warner Brothers. And they loved okay. us over in Europe. So yeah. we had a hit over there. We were just, you know, doing okay here. I, I wish I could tell you what the single was, but I, it slipped There's my other mind. ones. Your Lips, Hands, Kiss, Love, yeah. Give Me Love, yeah. Give Me Pain, Prisoner. Yeah, that, give Me Love, Give Me Pain. That was the second single. That I was believe. the single. Okay. Yeah.
tour Europe? If you were getting bigger over there, did Planet Records put some money behind no, promoting you guys over the there? No, that was problem. We wanted to go to oh. New York. We wanted to go to New York. We wanted to hit some of the places in New York and Europe. really promote ourselves. You know, we needed to get out there. We needed to get across the country, you know, yeah. and the United States so people could see us. You know, not just in L.A., but, you yeah. know, they were stingy with the funds. They were stingy in promoting us. I, I felt. That's what the other guy said. From and and it's unfortunate, you know. I think actually we had a better deal than most of the bands that Richard had signed, just because uh, the name was sounding good and Richard was really actually working with us, so it gave us a little more of an edge. But you know, the the funds really weren't there. They were confused with us. You know, it's kind of sad that they didn't, yeah. um, you know, uh, appropriate the funds to the promoting. Yeah. You so know? what did they do? I mean, what did you play? I mean, I assume you went on a tour at least, but maybe not. Yeah, did we you did on play a along tour, the West Coast. Like a, What'd you do? Yeah, we kind of did a small tour in in the West. You know, we went to Texas, we went to Oklahoma, we went to Seattle, we went to Oregon, we, and everywhere we went, we knocked it out of the ballpark. Yeah. You know, everybody loved it. Were you and on then, your own? Were you touring with with another bigger well, name? Well, we toured we toured with the Boomtown Rats. That was one oh. I remember touring touring with uh, right. up north in Seattle and Oregon, and uh, not the best experience with those guys. It's so funny Amazing. because Geldof, you know, you would think, oh gosh, what yeah. do you think we are the world, right? Uh-huh. He was such an ass. He That's was so annoying. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, and you yeah. know, but maybe it was his age, I don't know, and immaturity or threatened by us. I don't know, but I mean, he did yeah. some really crummy things. Cut our stage uh, allowance in half, turned off really? the monitors while I'm performing. I mean, what? you know. Yeah, I mean, it's I've heard those why. things. Yeah. yeah, I've heard the exact thing, and yet he's St. Bob, you know, for the We Are the World stuff. Yeah, the live but, or whatever. but, you know, it didn't matter to me because it's like, you know what? You can shut up my monitors. You can actually really turn me off. But yeah. I'm here with my band. I'm I'm here to perform. I'm not going to let my fans down. Yeah, so it didn't right. really matter to me. So I, maybe that was frustrating for him, which would have been good for me. So <laughs> 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 we'll kick back there. But, you sure. know, I, I, I just thought there would be more camaraderie. Uh, with yeah. the other musicians having gone through it themselves, that everyone would be more supportive of each other, and that's yeah. kind of you'd like to believe that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. think that's because true for almost were, any endeavor. Yeah, the there's like a cool supported? kids table. Yeah, you would yeah. think, but no, there's always a hierarchy in any in anything. There's kind of the cool kids table, and there's everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you have experiences where you were hearing your songs on the radio? I mean, were you, you know, driving along? Oh, sure. and You did? Sure. Okay, good. Oh, yeah, so yeah. And basically in L.A. I heard it, you know, and so that was, that was pretty exciting, you know, especially when you're okay, living good. there it's, and your music sure. comes on, you're kind of going, oh, my gosh. Or you go That's to the me. mall and people want your, your you know, your autograph, and, yeah. and it was very exciting. That, so that kind of stuff did happen. That's what I'm kind of getting tonight. I was seven in 1980, so it was a little oh, before God. my time. You know, <laughs> I was just starting to pay attention to music. Uh-huh. But I wouldn't have heard the stuff that wasn't, you know, big on Top 40 radio or whatever. And I grew up in Utah. Well, 1980, I lived in the Bay Area, actually. I lived in California. So. Okay, okay. So um, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have heard the littler 
singles or the smaller ones out there. There was some momentum being built behind Sue Sad and the Next. There were, you yeah. were hearing your songs on the radio. People <laughs> were showing up for your concerts. Yes, absolutely. Okay. We were very popu- okay. uh, popular at the time that we were playing. People, we were playing to pack houses. You know, nice. we, we, we came out. I mean, we were writing songs, and, and, and Ed Silver goes, hey, man, you just, nobody can do your music like you can. You have to go out and do it yourself. Yeah. You know, so I'm gonna get you yeah. in touch with Richard, and you guys are gonna do it. And so he he was really tremendous. He was very supportive, and um, I really have to hand it to him. I really appreciated all his help and support. You know, he he yeah. got us to really believe in ourselves, and yeah, we were doing the right thing. And within two weeks, we we put a band together, and we were out there and we were playing. That's amazing. It wasn't like you went on some long tour or tour after tour after tour, kind of hitching your wagon to other bands. It sounds like it was kind of a short-lived thing, was it, or am I misunderstanding? No, it was. It felt short-lived. I mean, I look back now on it now, and it, it was definitely short-lived. Yeah. <laughs> Not long enough for me. We played uh, a few a few uh, places, like I said, uh, in uh, Texas and uh, Oklahoma and, and Seattle and Oregon and areas like that. And then, then we went to Europe, and because they they loved us over there, and you yeah. know, they treated us like we were the stars, actually. That's and, incredible. And uh, we had done several videos over there. We had done a uh, eight or nine song video that w- they were going to play. They were going to uh, play that on TV. I mean, it was all ready to go. <laughs> wow. And it, and I was like, I was trying to get the video for years. I tried to get that video, but unfortunately. At one time, their building or wherever they had it burned up. Oh, so no way. The video was lost. And we fortunately did Young Girl at another, Veronica, at another studio, and they had it. And that's all okay. they had was the one song. Oh, that's why that's the only thing I can find that's out there you guys. That's why it's the only thing that's out there, except for oh. what uh, Albert has in uh, yeah. Radioactive Dreams. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's tons of movie clips. And I want to I want to ask you more about that here in a second. You know, because one of the things I try to touch on in here are the transitions. Are you feeling like you've made it, or are you feeling some hesitation? Like this isn't quite what I thought it would be because we're not. I don't feel like we're getting the kind of treatment we deserve. Are you thinking, well, this is okay. This is our first album. We'll get a second album. That one will get a little bigger. We're on the first step of a career here. There's, you know, we've got time. What's kind of going through your mind when you're sitting back and realizing where your career is? How about all of that, John? Really? Really? All of that's coming at you. I mean, it's almost like you don't have time to think because you're trying to, you're on to the next thing. You're on to the next album. You're, you're, you know, you've got to get out there. You're performing. You're trying to, you're trying to push it. You're trying to promote it. You're trying to get connections. I mean, you're, you're working your butt off to get it going. And so uh, whatever is needed, you do it. Richard was not real happy with the second album we were doing. He didn't understand it. He didn't like it. And I was kind of like, what were you thinking when you signed it? Are you going to allow us to be us? You know, that's what's a common thread in here. People get signed and then they label to their manager, whoever wants them to change. We like what you're doing, but we want you to change it. It's like, well, then you don't really like what I'm doing. You don't really want me to be me. You know? That's right. And yeah. I really got that when I was in the studio. And I, when I started singing, I kind of went, oh, my Lord, this isn't, this isn't going to work. Uh, that's why I was so disappointed with the first album. It, it's kind of like, oh, 
and my voice felt like I was being choked, you know. Really? Uh, I, yeah, I felt like I was, I was straining, I was upset, you know, I just was miserable. We had tape that we had done at home that exceeded anything that Richard had done. Really? Okay? And that was so disappointing. So you're not happy with that first album? No, not at all. Really? I knew what we were capable of, and it wasn't being heard. You know, yeah, some of it's good. Yeah, it's okay, but Uh it's not what we were capable of doing. Had we taken that first songs that we had done in our own home and on the little eight-track, four-track that we had, it was far better than what we came up with with Richard, unfortunately. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So you are you unhappy during the making of the album? Like you can hear while you're singing, All you can way. tell your voice is a mess. And, yes. Wow. Interesting. And there's nothing I can do. Sure. There's nothing I can do. I mean, at the time, I have to say, you know, in the beginning of my vocal career, I never had any lessons until really towards the end, and I started taking uh-huh. vocal lessons because I wanted to really increase my range. And basically, I had to because <laughs> guys, it's so funny. There's like, you know, the guitars sound better in this key. So we have to do oh. things in this key. And it's like, it's always higher. <laughs> and that's how guilty pleasures came up. doing that and, and it really actually made my range better but it came with you know a lot of work from uh, working with a vocal coach and you know improving my my voice and I'm really glad I did that because that's when you hear two worlds collide I can do that interesting so the second album that never actually came out is that what this long way home compilation is basically it's kind of around the same time as we were working on, you know, we wrote a bunch of songs, and uh, we had to pick and choose which ones we were going to use. So we were doing some of the songs on this second album that that is out. So a real actual second album, nobody's heard. It's been, it was shelved. Okay. Oh, so there, it it does exist. It does exist, but where, somewhere. I have no idea. I think it's probably burned up in another warehouse yeah, somewhere. Yeah, right, another I mean, they did insurance that. fire, let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably I mean, I, I read an article where they said that, you know, they had all this music that they had stored, Columbia, Electrosylum, and they had it stuck, and they didn't know what to do with it. So they did uh, the building. What? Really? <laughs> People, they need, the real estate was more important than the music. Oh, man. You know what I mean? Because it would have been too expensive to move the music somewhere and go through all of that material. That's horrible. It was, Come on. I don't, yes. I don't know if it was, you know, with our stuff in it, but no, I don't know where that music is. I have that, I have no idea where that second yeah. album is. And it's a shame because oh, it's good. 
It is. So I should clarify, I already mentioned it once, but in the last year, I don't remember exactly, some po- at some point in 2016, you guys released digitally an album of sort of outtakes or some of the movie music, like Lunar Madness is on here. It's called Long Way Home. I bought it on yeah. iTunes. Yeah. And you're right. I actually prefer Long Way Home to your actual first album, uh-huh. self-titled. There's more drama there. Your voice sounds even better. I, I'm with you. I like the Long Way Home compilation even better. Now, when we were chatting recently, you had said I think there was even a third album in the works. Is that right? Well, actually, it, there was a second album. This is actually the third album. Oh. Okay. Really? Uh, yeah, in, in a way. I mean, this music was happening when we were writing the second album because we had to write a bunch of songs. We just couldn't write, you know, eight or nine songs. You, you just yeah. were cranking them out, you know, yeah. as to, okay. you know, and so you could pick and choose which one you thought would work. When we did the second album, you know, we had Two Worlds Collide on there, okay. which nobody's heard except for you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to play a little bit of it right here so some people can hear it because I want it out there. that I had done with a couple other writers that I worked with after uh, the band broke up. And I wanted you to hear that song because, first of all, I'm really proud of it. And my vocals are uh, more of a direction I wanted to take it to. You know, I I, I find that uh, it's humorous when music companies or managers or whoever, they want to limit you to one genre and... I, I think it's it's kind of sad because you're an artist. An artist is growing and moving and changing, and that's what they do. And yeah. to say you can only do this or you can right. only go this way, it's like, what? Don't you yeah. get it? I mean, you know what an <laughs> artist is? You know, you grow, right. you change, you move, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's I, I find does. it kind of amusing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but that was also how I felt at the time when I wrote that song because the band sure. was gone. Interesting. I really like that song too. It's over. It's got a nice, kind of a new wave, you know, electronic beat to it.
I really I like yes. that song a lot. Thank you. Now, somewhere along the line, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like movie music takes over your career. Thank uh, God. I don't. What's that? <laughs> I said thank God. Well, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're finally being used somewhere, and you're getting out there. So when does the band end, and when does movie music start taking off? How does that transition happen? Well, you know, I think that the band was breaking up about 81, 82. Somehow a lawyer, an attorney got a hold of it, uh, Albert's attorney got a hold of the song for Radioactive Dreams, Guilty Pleasures, and they uh-huh. wanted to use it in the movie. They love the song, and, and I don't know how I got into the movie, but he wanted, Albert wanted me in the movie. I think I met him or something. I, I It's so long ago, I don't remember, but okay. I remember him saying, you know, we want you in it. And I thought, oh, perfect. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I knew if people could see me visually, they'd understand yeah, who I was. Sure. So, uh, you know, they spent two or three days just filming me on stage. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, not with my band, but with another band that was mimicking our band. Oh, and, lover. Uh, which uh-huh. just kind of made me feel bad, but, you know, yeah. they wanted to sad up there. And, you know, I just, it's like they were very, the guys were very supportive. Go ahead, you know, and uh-huh. do it. Uh, once I did that and I got to meet Albert and I asked him, I said, hey, you know, I, I would like to write some more music uh-huh. for the movie. I said, do you have a theme song? He said, no. And I said, do you have a script? He goes, yeah. And he gave uh-huh. me the script. And he, you know, gave me do what, do whatever. And yeah, so, really. Um, I took it, I read it, and then Radioactive Dreams happened. easy when you read a script and you know uh-huh. what's going to happen and you know what you know you experience I, I don't know I, I, I kind of took it all in and could uh-huh. visualize the movie and could visualize these two guys who are you know coming out into the new world which is basically how I felt since sure. the band broke up and yeah. you know it was a big change in your life and, and everything new is going to be coming towards you or you're going to be venturing out and it's all different Yeah. so I could really relate to that, and writing Radioactive Dreams was very simple to do, and I loved it. I wanted to do more writing for, for movies. I thought that was great. Did the movie, did, um, because prior to that, I think in 1981, you sang the theme song to the movie Looker. A pretty face reflected in the mirror, so perfect in it. 
future's getting clearer. She's got it all. She's got it made. When she smiles, is she really smiling? She's the only one. I haven't seen that movie in years, but I remember liking it when I was younger. Was that kind of the introduction to this world? Were you building on that success, and that's what Albert Pyan, is that how you say his last name? I don't really know how to pronounce his name. I just oh, okay. call him Albert, Albert you know, but yeah. it's P-Y-A-N. P-Y-U-N, or maybe U-N, yes, you're right, U-N. Okay. And he's really a nice guy, really nice, very supportive, good guy. And, and he's an artist himself, you know, he just does yeah. his thing, and he, he's, it's very different, very European, and people love it over there. So I sure. felt really lucky to be able to do that, but Looker came to us by way of Michael Towers. He wanted mm. me to sing the song, and he talked to Gary Dvorjan, and so they got the music to me, and I started to sing it, and they liked what was happening, and so that's how I got that. And I was really okay. excited, because it's like Albert City, I mean... You don't get any better than that. Albert yeah. King, Susan Day, James Colburn, sure. who I love. Michael Crichton and, directed that movie. And you think, oh, my God. That, that, and I thought, oh, no, his first movie he's going to direct. He's a writer. Okay. Yeah. You know. It, yeah. You think, oh, this could be really tricky. Yeah. <laughs> and it was. So, <laughs> it, you know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I love the idea that he got to do that, and I'm sure it was a great experience for him. But yeah. it was like, oh, does it have to be with me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do I need to be on your, your maiden voyage here? Can we wait? Right, Make right, because sure I'm on my own. Doing? Yeah, you, know, you I'm on my own legs. maiden voyage. I don't need to be on another one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, that's great. But I guess if Albert Finney can go on his maiden voyage, you can too, right? Hey, I felt lucky. You know yeah. what I mean? I felt lucky. It didn't do me any harm to do that movie. Sure. It helped yeah. me. Yeah. You know, it was popular. A lot of people love that song, and it is a were good you, song. Were you making more? I would imagine you might be making more money doing movie songs than you would have been as the front woman of your own band in the next. Oh, gosh, Joan. <laughs> oh, yeah, boy, what? that's not the only movie I made something on. Other than that, through my whole musical career, I, I really didn't make anything. Really? No. Nothing. You know, when you sign out with a record company, all that money gets paid back. You don't get a dime yeah. of it. I mean, you yeah. get writer's royalties, but they're, my, they're nothing. Yeah. A penny on the dollar, half a penny, a third of a penny. Right. <laughs> oh, no nothing. way. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I had a feeling that might be the case for the first album because it didn't quite take off, you know, to the mainstream or whatever. But then when you start this second career, even though they are sort of European or B-grade movies or whatever, you, you're doing a lot of them. I would just assume that that's a really nice revenue stream for you, but no. I got nothing. Oh, I got man. I dollars to do... Uh... 
I think, what was it, in Vicious Lips? I, I forget how many songs I had in that. And I think I got $200. Oh. For all the songs. I did three songs in that movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's like, it's you don't do it for the money. Yeah. It's not, I mean, you would like to. Yeah. <laughs> you hope you're going to do. do it. Some people do, sure. But well, they, you can get they, that far. This is the thing that I didn't understand. Is we were in the movies. We had people that really loved the band. It was all there. But they yeah. just were blind. I couldn't understand. They couldn't what, capitalize on what they yeah. had. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. It is so <laughs> Wow. Yeah. yeah, big time. Well, as a fan of yours, of course, I'm bummed. I mean, I just wish that it had been different. So you can answer this or not if you don't want to. When did you and Jim get divorced? I think it was around 82. But, oh, you know, so that was, was pretty early it, on. Okay. It was very early on, yeah. yeah. Okay. So your music career, though, it seemed, when does it end? Like around 86 or so after a few around of movies? Around 86, yeah. Mm-hmm. Around after I did Radioactive Dreams and Vicious Lips, they they had all that material, so they had my my voice on the tracks. Yeah. And you know they just asked me, or you know, and that was fine. Right. I was on to something else, and and basically reinventing myself, you know, because yeah. I had been with Tony and Jim since junior high, being together first of all, and then writing together. It was real hard, you know. It was yeah, hard to leave I because bet. it was leaving friends, leaving family, leaving. The band, leaving yeah. music. I mean, yeah. it was tough. I believe it. Who doesn't want that opportunity, right? Any musician with any inkling to write or sing or perform or whatever would give anything for the opportunity you had. And then I, it, it's got to be so conflicting to decide to walk away or try something else, even if the world or the universe or whatever is telling you it's not working out. That must be so hard to accept in that moment when you're just wanting it yeah. so badly, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, because your life is, you know, riding with these people in partnership. And so all of a sudden now you're really alone and yeah. you have to be out there alone doing it. And lots of people do that. I mean, it's not, not a big deal to them. But when you're honed into being in that direction and that's yeah. what you see for so many years, yeah. And then you have to turn it off and say, yeah. okay, I, I gotta just, I gotta cut it. I gotta cut yeah. it completely out of my heart and my soul yeah. and walk away and reinvent, reinventing myself. Right. And so um, it was a real challenge. I know you're involved in horses now, and yeah. I know you do art, but I don't yeah. know if those are your careers. I know you're remarried, obviously. How did you decide to reinvent yourself? What did you do? Well, I moved away from L.A. for one thing because I had to. Secondly, I just had to, I needed time to figure out what I needed to do. So I'm not going to tell you where I went or after that okay. or, or anything that I went into, but the, the two things that saved me was running, which I'd been doing when I was oh. performing, which I needed to do if I was going to perform the way I wanted to. Sure. I took up long-distance running. So I went, ran a lot of miles, and I, I cycled a lot of miles. And I got into that, and that was my life for 11, 12 years till, you know, I got in accidents and got hit by oh. things like oh, that. Oh, no. You know, so so, so it, it kind of physically, it kind of uh, does a number. But, you you know, I kept, I never gave up. I did other things. I got into yoga. I got into all kinds of things like that. 
okay. uh, holistically and spiritually, yeah. and 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 that does help you. And you can look back, sure. and you can kind of see that hey, it's okay. You know, yeah. it, it it I got to do what I got to do, and I'm happy. Would I like to have done more? You bet. Yeah. But it didn't turn out that way. But am I going to go and cry about it? No. I'm going to okay. go on, and I'm going to reinvent myself and be happy because that's what I choose to you do. You have to, right? Yeah. The, the survivor, yeah. that's how listen, you do it. Yeah, but I didn't listen to music like rock and roll music or the music I normally listen to for years. I could see that. Yeah. You know, for years. Vocalists, no, any, no female vocalists that I listen to. Was partly because it was a little painful for you to think that you're not there and you're not, that was me and I was there for a minute and now I'm not and it's too difficult to listen? Well, here's what's interesting because I, when I worked with Radioactive Dreams and I was doing that, you know, I had gone to Albert and I'd ask them, who else, what do you need music for? And uh-huh. they go, well, we need the scores. We need more score music. Well, I knew Jim had that kind of background to do uh-huh. score music because, he, you know, he'd done orchestration music and and stuff like that in, in school. And so, and, and Tony, I mean, he's he's extremely brilliant and yeah. he can learn very quickly and he was into that as well. And so, you know, I hooked them, I feel, I don't know, there's two different stories, but because I had more of a connection with Albert at that time, I just, you know, I asked him about that, and he says, yeah, he's open to that idea. I came back. I told Tony and Jim, I said, here's an opening. Go for yeah. it. And so they did. And so, They've been working yeah. with him ever since, right? I mean, Tony's done Tony has, yeah. every Tony has. score for every yeah. film Albert made. That's great. Yeah. But I'm happy for them. You know, I was really yeah. happy. But is it painful? Sure, because you're not a part of it anymore. But I'm happy for them, you know, because they're still doing the music. I know what you mean. So this little podcast of mine is kind of the first real creative thing that I've put out in the world, right? Sometimes I go through spurts where I don't listen to other music podcasts, even though mm-hmm. prior to starting my own, that was almost all I listened to. Right. And it's because it kind of hurts my heart a little bit. I don't want to know. I think about that that. Uh, it's this uh, Teddy Roosevelt quote, comparison is the thief of joy. And <laughs> I think about that all the time now. Yeah. Because if I <laughs> if I listen to other people who are doing what I do or what I want to do or what whatever, and, and, and I perceive more success or different or better or worse or whatever onto that, it just robs me of my own joy of my own creativity, you know? And so I have to cut that stuff out sometimes. And I'm wondering if that's sort of what may have been sort of feeding your need to just step away from even listening to rock music for a while. Absolutely. You know, you have to because you're not a part of it anymore. And what's really weird is is that when you make new friends or when you make new acquaintances or you're doing something different than you've done before and work-wise, it's kind of like they don't know you as that person. They don't know any of that. So I never talked about it. So a yeah. part of you, they don't know ever. Right, right. And that happens And they, don't, they may not even understand. And that's they the thing understand. that, it, I mean, don't we, get, don't we do creative things just in the hope that we're, we can connect with someone? And when you feel like you've put something out in the world and it doesn't connect, like these people who are just sort of blah about your music career or whatever, that's that's super painful. It's like I'm sharing a piece of my heart and soul with you, you know. You were telling me in that email recently about how you, you would tell people that you were a songwriter and it didn't really 
move them or they, they, no one really engaged very heavily in wanting to know more about that or talk about that. I know what you oh, mean. Yeah. That's not easy. Yeah, it isn't easy and because they don't have uh, – well, they're not musicians. They're not writers. Yeah. They're, they're not artists. So they don't come from that frame of mind. They don't understand uh, how what it takes to do that or where you need to go or where you have to go inside to get that out, you know, yeah. the process. Yeah. And, right. you know, I understand that now, but at the time it was very, very painful not to share that part of my life that I was really proud of. I felt I accomplished a lot musicianship-wise and vocal and writing, writing. I yeah. never, never knowing that I would be able to write music the way we were writing it. I was really proud of what we did and where we came, yeah. in a sh- really, in, in a short amount of time. Yeah. You know, we set our mind yeah. to doing it. We worked hard. We supported each other. And, and the process of it, you know, that that's why I love Tony and Jim so much, you know, because, you know, we we were tied and we we were there yeah. for each other and we helped each other and we and we helped each other get better to be better artists, yeah. you know, and yeah. I love that. So tell me yeah. more about uh, the second, you know, this this other, the last 30 years, 25 years of your life. If you want, anyway, what you I envision because we've talked a few times. I envision you living on like a ranch and boarding horses or something like that. No, 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 it's not like that at all. No, you know, I've often tried to get partnerships happening in other areas, like in business or anything like that, but it just never worked out. And and because I've always craved that, I love working with other people. I love you know, sharing accomplishments and promoting each other and having that support. But I could never find it. So I was always a solo person. And also being shy and not wanting to talk about a lot of that stuff, you know, it it isolated me somewhat. But I've always been caring uh, of other people, always wanting to help people. and, And so in the field that I got into after music, that's what I did. And I'm, okay. I'm, uh, I'll keep the rest of that private. But, you know, really the funny part of it is I, I wasn't planning on buying a horse, but I wound up with buying a horse. And huh. uh, the partnership that I came to find and love was with an animal. Yeah. And I know that sounds strange, but, you know, <laughs> the communicating, communicating with the horse in learning how to do that, it's, it's a whole different world I it, it. in a way the music world is so different than anything else, and so yeah. is this. And it made yeah. me not having any ability or talent in that way of, of with uh, horses. I always loved horses, but riding or being able to train, I knew nothing about it. So I was yeah. learning from scratch on how okay. to deal with this horse who was absolutely, you know, afraid of everything. Wow. So, and how to communicate amazing. and ride. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it was, it was a good experience. Okay. And still is. Good. I don't know. Do you uh, do you have any children or? No kids. Like? I, no I'm kids. very much into animals. I love I love dogs. I have a lot of dogs, so I have that. And and because I love animals so much, I started painting, and I got into that. My husband had shown me an iPad, and I went, Oh my gosh, that's pretty cool. So uh-huh. I just started looking for an app for art, and I just started using that and started painting with, yeah. uh, you know, an app that I have and started That's really working amazing. that way. I mean, you sent me some of your images of your art, and it's really fascinating. It's beautiful stuff, and it's all done on your iPad. Yeah, yeah, and That's it's crazy. up really beautifully, too, uh, which yeah. really, I have a really 
a good friend now who's the printer and an artist in his own right is a photographer, but he does printing for artists and he prints up my artwork for me and he, he does a great job. We were together on the album cover of oh. um, Two Worlds, uh, no, Long Way Home. Long Way Home, yeah. Yeah. So does your art ever get shown anywhere? Is there a website people could view it or anything like that? I, I don't have it on a website yet. I was going to start one up, but I haven't done it. Probably in the future I'll have it done. There's a couple more things that I want to do. I'm, I'm trying to perfect it a little bit more okay. and in, in a different direction as well. So I haven't gotten there yet, but I have an okay. idea where I want to take it to. And so it's it's not up yet, but someday it will be. Okay. We've pretty much uncovered your your whole career from beginning to end here, but I want to hear I want to hear some fun stories. Do you oh, have geez. any? Like, what are some of the funnest? What are the when you look back and you think about your career? What are some of the stories that just pop to mind immediately? Like, I can't believe that happened, or I met this really famous person, or I got to perform for a hero, or whatever, whatever it might be. I wish I had a couple of fun stories. One, one, one fun story that I remember being in Amsterdam and being in going up to our room. Jim and I were going to our room, and I could hear these Irish girls who were laughing and talking, and they were they were the, the maids for the hotel, and and they heard that Sue said was in, you know, was staying at the Marriott, and they were looking for the band. Okay, so. Huh. You know, they were talking, they were wondering where the band was and who were Really? They. Yeah, and they, so, you know, when I, I think they loved the, the, they liked Tony and they liked Bob and and, and sure. they wanted to, to see them, you know, so, you know, <laughs> we gave them their room. Number. Wow, so the maids you know? of the hotel yeah, recognized yeah. your name and got excited that like you might be team. there. Yeah, yeah, and so they were oh. all excited about us being there and performing and they wanted to know about the band. And, you yeah. know, so they were fans and, uh, you know, kind of sh- uh, meeting them and kind of not saying who we were. Isn't that I don't great? Know you never know, it. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that you was never know thing. who's catching on. That's amazing. Yeah. And then another time, I remember we were performing for John Kalodner. He wanted to see us live, so we performed for him. I forget where it was, down in the valley somewhere. And he came and he saw us play, and all of a sudden, uh, our music ends. I mean, where's the sound? And we're all looking around and we're like, what happened? You know, where uh-huh. is it? And he had pulled the plug. He pulled the plug on us. Because really? the music was too loud. And it's kind of like, what? I mean, he signed Aerosmith. Wow. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. well, he pulled the plug. And it, he just said, you guys are just too loud. And I just weird. thought that was kind of a weird thing to do. But That know, guy, like, is behind so many... Hard Rock acts, mm-hmm. and you yeah. were just too loud for him? He was too loud. Uh, what a like, huh? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that that was kind of interesting. The interaction between Richard and I was kind of, it, it's not, you know, I wish I had a lot more fun stories, but basically the fun stories are the fans. They, yeah. they were really, really great. You know, when I got on um, YouTube, a guy named uh, Rodden Sweet, had put on a video of Young Girl, his own. Uh-huh. And he had done several of, of the videos for Susad. And um, I was just amazed at, at that somebody would do that, you know, being yeah. a fan. And uh, then he had a little a little writing on there uh, afterwards talking about Susad, where is she, you know, uh-huh. uh, her music was great. It really had an effect on me, and I love her music, and I hope she's doing well. 
You know, we miss her. We want to come back. And it it just blew me away because I really didn't think that we had an effect out there at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I just felt people didn't hear us. They didn't want, you know, I just didn't get a good response, I guess, in my my heart like I wanted to. But when I I saw this on YouTube, it kind of, it was like, you're an idiot. You know, they did. It made an effect. People love you. I have 22 videos on there that I have not done myself. I've done nothing. And they have been on there, and they've done my own music. They've done it for me. That's a pretty big compliment. That's amazing. That's That's a good story. You know what I mean? So uh, Oss is another one who did Radioactive Dreams. He he was another guy that that, uh, did a couple of videos for me that, that were great. He got my name out there. Paul Schultz, he's uh-huh. really, uh, a really neat guy. He he uh, heard our music, and then he did the producers, which he he did um, stories about us and, and how we got together, and, and so we're on the Internet because of him, and people yeah. are there when they want to know about Susat. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, it really comes down to the things that the fans have done that have kept the longevity of 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 what is out there of Susat, and I'm yeah. really appreciative of that. Good. Good. Yeah, and Albert too. He's another guy. You know, yeah. Giving me the opportunity to be on the movies. Those are all good stories. Yeah. You know, a year ago, I hear this voice, and it's one of the most amazing things I've ever heard. And I immediately have to know everything about it. And it got us to this point. And so, thank you so much for being you and for being oh, willing to talk to me thank and you, telling John. me your stories. And if I'm able to turn some people on to you and your music and your voice and whatever, and I've done my job because I just think you're amazing. I want to close by saying that I think your singing on the song Long Way Home is one of the most amazing female vocal performances I've ever heard in my life. Wow. Thank you, John. I really appreciate you um, putting this on your on the show. It's, it's a big deal. There you have it. Sue Sad. Such a neat lady. And what a waste. I'm not kidding when I say her voice is one of the most amazing instruments I've ever heard. That thing deserved to have been huge. There are very few people who have ever lived that can sing like this. Now, the song you're listening to right here is called She's a Fire. And I think it's from another one of those Albert Pyan 80s movies called Spitfire. When this is over, you're going to hear the song Long Way Home. I just mentioned it a minute ago. It's on that album that came out earlier this year of stuff that had never been released before. I'm not exaggerating when I say this. It is top five greatest female vocal lead performances I've ever heard in my life. There have been times I've played Long Way Home and been moved to tears. I want you to listen to the song a couple of times. Tune everything out. Close your eyes. Turn off the lights if you have to. Sit in peace or lay down. And focus on her voice and what an incredible instrument it is. When the song's over, rewind it. Listen to it again. And this time, pay attention to the band. Pay attention to the way that they're interplaying with each other and the dynamic they're they're experiencing and the power they're bringing through their playing, that they're elevating this thing. It's an amazing, amazing piece of work. And if you like anything you've heard here, I hope you'll go buy the albums. Both of them are available in iTunes. I think they're $8.99 or $9.99, and they're both good. 
The second one that just came out, I especially like that one. So I hope you got turned on to some good music here. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich for producing the podcast. Thank you, Yan. Guys, please find us on Facebook. You can keep in touch with us that way if this is your first time listening to us. You can send me a message on there. You can send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, which we don't use very often, at thehustlepod. The best thing, though, is to just subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Keep in touch with us that way. Write a review if you want. We'd love to hear your thoughts, good or bad. Anyway, we will be back next Tuesday. We're going to do a, a, a run of shows around British post-punk and alternative bands of the 80s. So I hope you come back, and I hope you like that. We'll talk to you all next week.